This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. excited because today officially is the one year anniversary of the show. I think our first ever episode last year was a very short episode on Halloween Kills and the Halloween franchise in general. Yeah, do you uh, remember the date of that? I think it was like it was either November 30th or October 30th and I'm pretty sure that it was October 30th but I didn't post it until November 30th. Gotcha. Um, just because of uh, like I was figuring out how to do the tech side of it. But yeah, one year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I was wondering what we was um, and, and contemplating beforehand, so this may not be a fair question for you. But yeah, what was your favorite uh, podcast uh, from last year in terms of just the experience of the movie and, mm-hmm. and um, all of that? Well, I, I, think I have to say two. Um, like the first was um, The Passion of Joan of Arc because I've never, uh, as you remember, I never yeah, yeah, man. watched a silent film before. Yeah. Um, and it was an experience that I really enjoyed. Um, but the, I think the other one, if not more favorite, would just be reviewing the Terrence Malick films and then also watching A Brave New World. Um, that one was um, uh, that one was great yeah. um, with Colin Farrell. I thought it was a really powerful telling of that story. And so I'd, I'd have to say the Terrence Malick one. I know that's by far our most popular podcast um, that we've had. But, um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed those two. What about you? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, the Malick, uh, just going going in uh, deeper into his world is always um, just an immeasurable amount of uh, mm-hmm. fun and insight yeah. and, uh, and definitely qualifies uh, very high on the cinematic art of cinema scale of course so just so fun to uh mm-hmm. engage and discuss that but i think also uh the hunger the passion of bobby sands oh and yeah all the northern ireland northern ireland stuff to revisit which i hadn't you know uh really done in 12 or so years so that was a lot of fun to go back to that mm-hmm. and explore it and and have a discussion yeah and there were a few episodes i feel like in there that were in some sense autobiographical for you like kind of exploring some of your history and yeah not only engagement with films but kind of your own um spiritual moral political development yeah you know i thought i thought that was really cool too and i know that our listeners really appreciated that level uh vulnerability for sure um but anyway so yeah, yeah. No, it's great i love, I love that um well thank you for anyone who's been here with us since the beginning um we're so glad that you've decided to join us. If you're here as a first-time listener, um, we're excited to have you as well. we got a lot of great episodes that you can check out, um, so feel free. We'll continue down the road of doing the, the Roadshow episodes, our reviews, all that kinds of good stuff. We've got lots more uh, ahead of us than behind us. But um, as you may remember, if you were here last year, uh, the show that w- the movie that we covered was Halloween Kills. We actually talked a lot about John Carpenter and even like the history of all the different um, Halloween movies. Um, that was our first conversation. And so here on the one year anniversary, um, lo and behold, we're talking again about Halloween, but this time the more recent or the most recent episode or installment of the Halloween franchise, which is Halloween ends. 
but before we get there, uh, as our opening segment normally is, it's a question on what are you watching? So, Kyle, what are you watching right now? Yeah, so well, I've been through a number of um, spooky features that have been fun. One of them on Shutter, which is, you know, um, you can subscribe to through Amazon mm-hmm. uh, and horror-focused uh, uh, stuff, but they did a restoration of this Halloween movie from made-for-TV movie, mm. um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Mm. Um, and so very interesting how, of course, there was almost no gore in it because it's for television, but at the same time, very disturbing, many of the situations uh, that they were in and the violence that was kind of, you know, off screen. Mm-hmm. But um, but apparently it was the first uh, Scarecrow kind of subgenre horror slasher movie that's great uh, which was uh fun and and well made and then uh finished out hitchcocktober uh on friday went to see shadow of a doubt uh from 1946 maybe yeah in there uh which was a bit of a bore to watch honestly Mm. um but also afterwards uh some of the darker themes you recognize uh were actually quite disturbing and kind of further contemplation of Mm, what mm -hmm. uh, the story was and the Joseph Cotton character who's kind of a combination of a narcissist and (laughs) nihilist Mm. um, who seems in contempt of many things and he on the run uh, invades his like sister's family home in California and tries to play the nice uncle uh, all the while having this like very uh, disturbing you know, undercurrent mm. um, in his character that, that ends up being disturbing. But a lot of the, you know, sequences are just kind of like, you know, they're not they're not highly suspenseful like you would, you know, uh, experience from Hitchcock typically. So it's a little right. bit of a different watch. But I was surprised at how uh, much I continued to contemplate, like, what was actually being portrayed mm. um, with that one. So anyways, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I, I regretta- regrettably did not get to experience Hitchcock um, at all during Hitchcocktober just due to my own schedule and um, yeah you, you got know. married that's right got married so yeah. that's uh that is a uh, that was a hard sell um, for me but I, uh, I I I watched a few on my own just at my own streaming just because our our conversations about Hitchcock kind of reminded me how much I enjoyed his films and he was kind of like I said in that episode like one of the first directors that really opened my eyes to like filmmaking as an art yeah um and things like that um but most recently the uh and again going to the uh the the classic kind of um juxtaposition between kyle and i uh between him being the fine seven course meal at a fancy restaurant and me being the mcdonald's drive-through um i watched (laughs) black adam uh just out of curiosity nice um and i will say that it's it's not it's not terrible it's not bad i liked it a lot but it's just because I think they they decided just to focus on like Dwayne Johnson's strengths, which is action sequences, looking <laughs> tough, and humor. Mm-hmm. Like the guy is mm-hmm. quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you go into it without like expecting this this great masterpiece, then it's going to be fine. Um, you know, and spoilers. There's a really interesting cameo in that film that uh, you will um, have to check out if you haven't um, seen the movie. So yeah, right on. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it has good things ahead for DC. I've been wanting them to kind of explore those characters. And so I'm really interested to see where DC is going to go from here because they're kind of getting away from the shared universe. Um, uh, so I'm interested to see. But yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 
And in addition to that, I don't know if you've watched this film, um, Making Friends at the End of the World. Have you heard of this film? Steve no. Carell, Kira Knightley film. Mm. It's a fascinating film. It's uh, basically the premise is there's this giant meteor heading for Earth. Um, and there's a kind of, you know, like the um, Apollo movie where uh, Bruce Willis goes up and drills into this giant meteor and, you know, actually uh, uh, bl- like blows it up. Uh, it starts out actually with the failure of that kind of a mission. And um, now Steve Carell is having to, like, you realize he's got, like, 12 days left to live. He meets Kira Knightley. They kind of fall in love, and it's a really interesting little romance right at the end of the world. But the thing I enjoy about the movie a lot is that it kind of shows the different ways in which, and, you know, today in, in our, um, at our university we celebrated Memento Mori, how different people remembered their death. You know, you had the kind of the... Um, uh, the people who are doomsday preppers who are trying to uh, you know, <laughs> burrow deeply into the ground to survive and come back up and rebuild society of the That's people. That's right, Fallout. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the Fallout yeah. people. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite uh, one of my favorite video game series. is. That's great. I yeah. need to introduce you to a friend of mine who also, also loves Fallout. Yeah. Um, then you have the, uh, the basically the, the hedonists who just uh, tried to get like, and ironically they're in like at CGI Fridays. It's really funny. Uh, but they also show a very moving, I think, picture of like, um, Christians, spiritual people, and like they celebrated their last several days on earth uh, through baptism. And I thought that was a really powerful mm. thing. And so it's a really interesting kind of story about like what people do when, when they know they're about to meet their end. Um, and I always really liked that film. And it's one of Steve Carell's more serious films. Yeah. You know, and I, I always like that. Um, I think Me too. Steve Carell actually has a really interesting, um, interesting, serious side. He, he actually, there's a TV show on Hulu. Um, that I just finished called The Patient, which might be, you know, you, you may not like the implications there, but basically a, a patient, a uh, mental health patient, uh, kidnaps his therapist mm. in order to have intensive therapy sessions in his basement. Wow. Um, and so you should check that out and see what you think about that, especially as a mental health professional, uh, what you think of uh, how Steve Carell's character handled that. So, uh, but yeah, that's what we've been watching. Uh, well, let's move right into it. So Halloween ends. Yeah. Um, this is supposed to be the final installment. John Carpenter says no more after this. Um, and it hasn't mm. received um, really positive reviews from anyone that I've really been able to track. I mean, like, for example, like on IMDb, which is just a, a normal kind of movie site, it's like five out of ten stars. So not super great, but I am holding reservations to hear what Kyle has to say. I, I did not enjoy it. I will at least commit to that. And I've got some criticisms, but what do you think? No, of no, wait, no, go into it, man. Tell us, tell us what you didn't like. Well, you know, I, and this is this is just basic level, just surface level. It, I didn't understand, like the plot didn't connect at all for me to what <laughs> happened at the end of Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's this great scene, and by great, I mean it's it's very violent, and which again itself didn't make sense with regards to the whole movie that had happened before, and then also the Halloween remake in 2017. Um, you know, because he, he's now this spiritual force, it seems. Like, because he gets beaten down pretty badly by yeah. the, um, the people who live in that town. And, yeah, um, the mob, yep. Yeah, he just comes, he just kind of comes back up and kills them all and then kills Laurie Strode's daughter, almost like teleports to her location to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one didn't really, I, it didn't really make any sense with me, like, what, what, what happened. So apparently he just he disappears and he goes into a sewer. Um, and stays down there and just like drags people in there every once in a while. It's also, and I don't know, maybe this is petty, like they introduced a new character um, named Corey, 
whom on the Halloween night um, in the previous movie, um, he uh, is babysitting at a young child, and there's an accident that ends in the death of the child. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how the movie begins. And really, the Halloween ends is more about him than anyone. He runs into Michael Myers and kind of becomes a Michael Myers-type figure, um, and ultimately himself is killed by Michael Myers. And so the majority of the movie focused on him. When I thought, just in terms of like watching the publicity for it, the commercials for it, this was going to be a film focused on the story of Laurie Strode. Oh, no doubt, yeah. And and Michael Myers and kind of <laughs> wrapping up that storyline. And that was kind of an afterthought. I don't even think Laurie Strode is in it too much, really. Yeah, I mean, she's sort of a narrator because she's yeah. writing a book. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, the story that they were trying to tell, I think, was that Michael Myers is more of a spiritual force and he had infected the the people of this, this town because um, there's all these tragic things that are happening. But Laurie Strode is now refusing to hide from it like she was in the first um, of this new trilogy. Um, she's living in a house with her uh, granddaughter. Um, and, yeah, she's moving on with her life. But it doesn't really make uh, – I mean, you got Frank there, right, who they kind of promised a little bit. Like, I feel like they should have just killed him off in the first of this trilogy because <laughs> he really has not played too big yeah. of a role in this yeah, film. Yeah, I think it's grocery shopping. Yeah, that was it. Like, just grocery shopping. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, um, I the, it just didn't make sense to me, like, why you would introduce this brand new character on the tail end of this trilogy. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the, the sequence that you they actually show in the commercials with uh, Michael and Lori is really all it's like the very every, end. Yeah, yeah, it's at the very end, and everything that you see in there is basically in the trailer. Yeah, and so That's there's right. no new ground being broken there. So for me, the issue is that I didn't understand um, why they did that. Um, it did not, for me, connect at all to the previous films. Um, in a certain sense, like I just like I didn't understand the story that they were trying to tell, other than the fact that he's kind of this like this contagion that's infecting the mm-hmm. town which you know if that's the if that's the story then that's fine but i wish they would have just stuck with the human side of the michael myers character well, but the ridiculous thing is they come back to that at the end when um when laurie like is uh you know taking uh liberties with him at, uh, in terms of uh, torturing him a little bit before she actually kills him or whatever um, but she, you know, repeats, I think a number of times, like you're just a human being. And so the whole, the whole movie never even like allows, um, for it to really become one or the other. And it's also been kind of true of the entire, uh, although I haven't seen the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, but certainly in the first decade, you know, the first five, um, you know, they go back and forth with that same kind of, is he a psychopath from, you know, the psych ward? Uh, who was traumatized, or is he, you know, then he's constantly the doctor, I always forget his name, but uh, oh, yeah. constantly referring to him as, you know, pure evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is uh, just really uh, almost purposely, like, we're going to introduce this kind of thing and never really allow it to take, you know, shape or form one way or the other. Right. Uh, but even at the very, very end, when she's you know writing out the last words, she uses the word shape again. Um, if it, you know, evil comes back in another shape, uh, which is certainly an open window for whatever is next with Halloween. There's no way it's going to die. Obviously, it'll come back around in a decade. And the whole issue. Sorry, I'm just like. No, you're yeah, good. This is good. Yeah, uh, but it was uh, super obvious that 
the studio, Carpenter, whoever was behind producing this as a trilogy um, had not uh, given much thought at all to like, well, what story are we telling and what's the story arc and then how are we going to, uh, at best, this felt like, you know, this could have been resolved in two movies for sure. (laughs) Um, And that would have been fine. Um, And uh, yeah, it just seemed really lazy and, um, I think that's largely where the criticism is coming in of mm-hmm. just like you've, you've taken us for a ride. And I think we, as the audience, the paying audience just kind of feels used, um, yeah. when a, when a franchise, you know, is that, uh, lazy, all that to say, I do have some different thoughts about, uh, the movie in its own right, yeah. uh, with what it did introduce. Um, but to that point, yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, they were not even working that hard to uh, figure out like what we're going to do. And definitely what you're saying, the transition from Michael, yeah, is this evil spiritual force at the end of two. And then this, you know, weakened hermit uh, living in the sewer uh, just doesn't, there was definitely no bridge built for that. And then of course, no explanation um, of why he's been hiding out, you know, uh, or how he survived even. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, because I think that, I mean, you're right. Like the, if they would have just completely bought into or stuck with the theme that he is this spiritual creature as opposed to the psychopath. And again, I, I, we've talked about this last year that I'm more drawn to the, the remake, the, the 2017 version where he seems to be just kind of this hyper-focused like psychopath, mm-hmm. you know, and it, I feel like it kind of changed when they did that at the end of that Cowling kills where he was kind of this creature but then in this film you know he just kind of lives in the sewers but he ultimately is human they kill him like he's able to die i don't know why he's able to die there but not with uh yeah. the, the mob right <laughs> like in some sense like i what i would have preferred is to see like you can chop off the the entirety of this movie except for the final battle between um lori and michael and just put that on the end of Halloween Kills, and I think it would have made more sense. Yeah, like I could have probably forgiven the fact that he was able to, you know, get up from the mob, yet not from Laurie, if it um, if I didn't have to go through all of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but another thing, and this is this is just a different this. So if we're just looking at the story of Allison and Corey, right? Mm-hmm. So Allison is is Laurie Strode's granddaughter, introduced in the in the nineteen uh, two thousand seventeen version. Um, as someone who's trying to reconnect Lori and her daughter, um, I, the the romance between the two doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, in some sense, it felt a little forced. I mean, in some, I, I guess that they they were trying to show that like these two very troubled individuals who have these very different kinds of stigmas attached to them finding each other is a very interesting idea. But it felt very forced because Allison fell prey to what I call the the Padme Amidala (laughs) like a syndrome, like ignoring the red flags, if you will. Um, and just kind of moving past, um, like all the really just in your face transformations that Corey's going through as a kind of way to, um, you know, uh, like, I don't know the force this on us in a certain sense. There's also just a lot of really random inconsistencies that didn't make sense to me, but I'm trying to do what we talked about last time, which is not pay attention to just like mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the honest trailer version of the movie. Yeah. 
Like, there's a scene where a guy hands, like, a 16-year-old a gun and says, it's loaded. Just stay here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I was just like, well, that's not going to end badly. <laughs> like, of course not. So, but, you know, there's things like that. I mean, Halloween movies, I guess, in a certain sense, especially slasher films, these days, like, you you have to have, like, a certain benchmark, I guess, in terms of, like, graphic kills. Um, that's what it feels like. You got to yeah, kind of sure. meet that benchmark. Um, so I felt like they were trying to force those in there. But, again you know, the ways they did it. But you said you had other thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely related to that. And I, I did feel like I had um, one, you know, I hadn't read that much about it, but a friend of mine had seen it and told me about, you know, there's this whole like a side uh, story with Corey or side mission using Fallout language again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Else, which um, in part, like I, I appreciated on its own, even though I think that they did a terrible job with it. Right. Um, but do appreciate that, um, like again, like what are they going to do with Michael in the third movie, if they're you know destined to make a third movie? Um, is he just going to walk around again on the next Halloween or whatever Halloween and kill people, and bring everything back up, uh, which they reference you know all throughout the, right. the movie. Um, so that's obviously boring, and you've done as much as you can do with that. Um, so I was very uh, interested and intrigued in this character that they were creating, and it does. And some some people who who are trying to like it out there uh, are looking at it more from uh, David Gordon Green's earlier like independent features. Uh, one of them, a movie I like a lot, just called Joe, which is a terrible movie title, <laughs> um, but it has Nick Nick Cage in it. Uh, mm-hmm. in like 2012 maybe or something like that and is a good uh, illustration of you know the kind of movies he used to make as an independent filmmaker and, and stories he used to tell and so it felt like it had a little bit more of that going on mm-hmm. um, coming of age or, or whatever um, and again he you know, has the typical like parents at home and his mom's always on him and, and, and he obviously now has his own uh, grief slash guilt slash trauma from this whole, you know, I, I killed this kid on accident, but it was horrifying. Right. Um, and apparently, you know, did not get, you know, charged or, or found guilty in court mm-hmm. um, to be, but he's, you know, living with it. And now in the town, like everybody, they usually eventually recognize him and then say something about, you know, here's the freak. Right, yeah. Um, or the psycho. Um, and so, you know, there's like some prophecy, I guess, in terms of who he's going to become. But I thought, um, especially after he connects with Allison and they do have the kind of bonding over their trauma, which is different than trauma bonding. Trauma right. bonding is when you uh, bond with your abuser. Right. So in this case, they're bonding over that. We both have stuff in our past and, and we have uh, survived and we're trying to support each other. And of course, all that's underdeveloped because you don't have a lot of time to do that. It seems like, yeah, they're just like running you know, into this thing. Um, and but you can understand at least the connection, yeah, you know, that, yeah, they, that they have, right? Um, and so with um, him uh, being sparked, having a spark with her and some life, uh, it felt interesting. And then, of course, he runs into this, you know, group of teenagers who, where he slashed her tires earlier and whatever has this history with them. They finally corner him on the bridge and uh, toss him over, and that's where he gets. It seems like he gets pulled into the uh, the sewer pipe, uh, back into the sewer. But uh, when we go inside of it with him, um, it just seems like he's sitting there, and you don't right. immediately see Michael 
um, hanging out. Um, and I think you see remnants of other like dead people that Michael has, you know, captured and killed and maybe eaten or don't know what's, what Michael's up to back there. Yeah. Um, but immediately, <clears throat> especially in the first, you know, couple frames is that we're in a sewer, um, which in, in the movie crawl, right. the crocodile movie, alligator movie, uh, it's very, uh, when she's swimming through the sewer pipe, it's like a rebirth for her. And obviously it's underground and, and all the water with that one, a lot of baptism related kind of things. Mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption has the most, you know, explicit That's the one, use yeah. of, <laughs> you know, a sewer 500 yards. Uh, to crawl out into his baptism. And then even Luke and Vader in um, Return of the Jedi, or the Empire Strikes Back, uh, when Luke walks into the cave, it's not a sewer, but, you know, he can... And I almost felt like that scene where he, Corey, confronts Michael, and it's like confronting fear, and then, you know, he he goes... And so the way the tunnel is lit, uh, the pipe is lit, you know, uh, was, was super interesting and he, you know, was able to leave. And so it felt kind of like, wow, I just confronted something in there. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, according to Yoda's whole thing, That's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, watching out for the dark side and, and mm-hmm. being consumed by it. Um, so it does seem like, I don't know that that's, that's the choice. And I really thought they were going to use that as a, you know, like expression of transformation. Um, and that uh, he wasn't going to be consumed by Michael and and become Michael essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that his path was confronting that thing and confronting things you know within himself and becoming a more empowered character. And honestly, uh, so the biggest frustration, which they they still sort of did with uh, what's his name, uh, who you mentioned a minute ago, the guy in the grocery store. Oh, yeah, um, the, the Will Patton character. Yeah, Will Frank. Patton, Frank. Um, so Frank, you know, has introduced this idea of, you know, like going to Japan or what he was learning Japanese. Um, and him and Laurie have basically almost the final scene where they're sitting together on the porch, like, you know, like we can move on now. So, but it felt like they totally missed this opportunity for we're ending the, this series and maybe ending it all together. Um, and based on, again, how wh- horror is now used in terms of, you know, being a representation of trauma and trauma yeah. grief process, uh, that they could have opened this thing up. And that, to me, that should have been Corey and Allison at the end of, like, we actually have defeated uh, this evil. And now we're able to, like, she and him in particular come together and create a new life. And there'd be hope and there'd be something to hold on to. Uh, together that he wouldn't get consumed by that and so I thought that was just a weak use of that character ultimately that it could have represented again uh, moving um, from his guilt into his grief and then transforming and finding hope but instead he becomes consumed by uh, the guilt and the fear and the trauma and then becomes Michael um, becomes a threat to everybody yeah. and you know and ruins it so in, the, in that way it just it just felt like well evil you know uh one like laurie defeated my you know defeated everybody but obviously the shape quote unquote you know will return as advertised and didn't allow any room for any real transformational hope uh reconciliation process which seemed like um a huge opportunity there to do something different Mm -hmm. and they just kind of went by the book instead yeah yeah i mean like i think we talked about this last year one of the more compelling pieces was kind of the the mob violence that was so indicative of 
kills like mm-hmm. the, and and the in the two senses of like the mob that attacked Michael but also there's that psychiatric patient that escapes they kind of you know mistakenly identify yeah. as Michael um, and that part like I thought that that was a really interesting story to tell like the mass hysteria sure um, and I feel like that could have been a place for that transformation of you know from grief uh, from guilt into grief um, instead it seems like it kind of they double down on it like the town does and maybe that's intentional um, it's part of a larger inside of the story they're trying to tell but again I just didn't I would have liked some payoff for some of these other themes that they explored in, in the other films mm-hmm. um, especially with the the ways that like I mean Lori's daughter for example was that beacon of hope in yeah. a certain sense yeah because she was the one that was trying to stop the crowd from killing that's right this this person but you know they she dies at the end of Halloween kills and is not here in this this episode and kind of uh, in a certain sense, leaves um Lori and Allison a little rudderless it seems like as they're kind of exploring their own engagement with Michael and Corey for that matter too um and so I think that it would have been nice to see that be the way that this is resolved so the town comes together merely in the like destruction of uh, mm-hmm. of Michael instead of some type of like communal healing like what kind of like have you so have you seen You've seen all of Midnight Mass or some of it? No, I I'm, uh, have not seen the last episode. Okay, well, I will yeah. not ruin this yeah. for you. But yeah. there is a parallel that I think would be really interesting yeah. um, for you to explore here about like how this community and, – and, again, you can you maybe won't, don't see this – how the community comes together to deal with this situation yeah. for can't, better or ill. Yeah, can't, you know? can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, and so um, the, uh, the goal, of course, is like I, I think like this – what does it look like for almost like a communal liturgy – of um you know hope as we're moving through this yeah you know? and in some sense like uh, i thought i i kind of chuckled a little bit because you know we talked about characters under utilize the sheriff shows up mm-hmm. right at the very mm-hmm. end just to kind of bless this mob violence yeah, no doubt like i feel like that it, you know you didn't need him to do that right. but he showed up anyway like he because he was in the first two films but he's and he's here now in this last one just as this kind of moment and the entire town is there to see the end of michael um but you know, it's it's one of those things that I think. What would it look like for the communal liturgy to be something else? Like I've always really enjoyed these. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched this M Night Shyamalan produced film, Devil. No. It takes place in an elevator. The ending is is a it's engagement with like you know Satan in all of his ways. Yeah. But the ending story is instead of like destroying the devil, which is kind of the normal way that this is taken care of. There's a uh, forgiveness that takes an act yeah, of forgiveness yeah. that takes place that yeah. kind of like prevents destruction. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's such a, uh, such a compelling theme in cinema for me. Yeah. Um, like the railway man is another great example where you have this revenge flick where the guy goes there to capture his captor and in the end forgives him. And that's a real life story. So it's even more compelling. Yeah. But you know, what would it look Agreed. like for this? Like, you know, you, you mentioned Michael's trauma. Like what does it look like to really dig into that? Michael never really gets to become anything other than the kind yeah. of faceless. Well, even know. over time, yeah, they've they've you know he wasn't known as a shape at the beginning. Like even just giving him that qualification um, is obviously dehumanizing in its yeah. own way. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, yeah, and, and again, like I think I think you're right on, and that it is the more subversive um, way to approach 
you know, these kind of, because it is the laziest, easiest thing to do is, well, it's a movie about evil, so, you know, why would it have had a hopeful ending? Other That's than, right, yeah. Other than Laurie still survives. She's still the final girl, and we're just going to that, that trope and, and um, not challenge any of it or do anything different with it. Mm-hmm. In its own way, it's like, yes, please do something different and interesting. Yeah. But also, um, yeah, just to, um, because they have become, the horror movies have become so much more, um, psychologically um, aware and engaging with trauma that, you know, there are a whole host of things you can do to, you know, um, promote other other options and, and something more hopeful while still maintaining your very much your, uh, you know, keeping your kill count, um, whatever the your standard is for being a Halloween movie. Yeah. Um, and tell a different story. And so that's just, yeah, very, um, and again, no judgment. I mean, I'm not going to judge a Halloween film for being a Halloween. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but it seemed like very obvious to me that they had a, a really great opportunity to, to say, yeah, this is how it's impacted the community through, you know, this one, uh, other kid, Corey, and here's his story and could have become something different for, for Corey. Yeah, because they set it up too like that. He, he, the the premise of how he gets into the situation with the child is that the child has lured him upstairs. It's fascinating. That's the this is the second film I've watched recently. The other one was a TV show, so I guess it wasn't a film where they show that really graphic scene from that '80s uh, um, horror flick. And I need to like look at the title, um, but where the guy's head is getting kind of pulled off and he's being transformed. Mm-hmm. Into this monster. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the second time I've seen that. That seems to be a favorite but he gets lured <laughs> upstairs by this kid trapped in a closet basically or the attic because the kid is saying that michael myers is in the house yeah right and he leaves out the knife and all that kind of stuff and and in some sense Corey himself is afraid like that's the effect Absolutely. that michael has even the summoning of his name leads to for sure to fear and so he's really mad at this kid kicks the door down knocks the kid over several flights of stairs down to uh, the ground and he falls to his death um, there is a story to be told there about a, a maybe in some sense like him even overcoming his own fear mm-hmm. um, and living into like a new kind of hopeful existence yep. on the other side of this tragedy, right? And there's, I mean, the the the, the tropes are right there. Um, like you know, overcoming fear is is an important part of like the hero's journey, mm-hmm. and then also healing, like him like actually living his life as opposed to um, like just remaining in this small town working in a junkyard with a stepdad, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's movement that he could make out into the world. Uh, and in some sense, a confrontation between him and Michael would have been uh, more compelling had it remained. I mean, they do a little one, but you know, like if there would have been something else yep. that maybe would have led into this moment or even, you know, on the other side of things, you know, the, uh, another theme or story or, or idea that I read going into the film is that maybe this is the end of Laurie Strode. So what does it look like instead of you know this for her dying in a in a moment of self sacrifice that actually is the thing that defeats Michael because mm-hmm. she says it several times like I've thought maybe like Michael and I like like we only live because the other's still alive yeah that's right Batman and Joker yeah right exactly yeah. and so like what would it look like crucifixion style to bring the darkness into oneself in a moment of sar- sa- sacrifice in order to free the community I mean yep. that's uh, Rene Girard right there yep. Uh, instead of repeating the cycle of mimetic violence, what does it look like to submit to it instead um, as a means of escape? So, again, there's a lot of things. We, I mean, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Um, but 
it would have been interesting to see some of those things too. Yeah. Well, 100, 100. Yeah. Wow. And just so, you know, if there is a judgment, obviously, uh, on my end, it's more just don't be so lazy, you know, in these two very different things we've talked about, the overall scope of the trilogy, uh, which didn't seem to need to exist in the first place. And we're just trying to, um, to do that because we're obviously going to make money. People are going to come watch it. And then even with this one micro story, uh, not really giving it, it a purpose, like it could have had a purpose to end the trilogy, to mm-hmm. end the franchise if it's actually going to end uh, in a way that suggests like we can move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether that was just lazy or intentional, people, the writers who ever believing like, nope, you know, evil is more powerful and, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe it is that nihilistic and ugly and gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still didn't even seem like they made that statement that obvious either. Yeah. Um, and just didn't know, just didn't know how to do it. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think that this tells us, that you see kind of the best and worst of, and of Hollywood in these kind of discussions. The, the laziness of the writing, because you know that a Halloween movie is going to make money. I mean, I was in, for example, um, over my honeymoon, I did the this kind of, it's called Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And they had a house dedicated entirely to Michael. In some sense, they sold tickets to that particular event on the basis of this house that was going to be featuring Michael. And oh. it was very well done. Like, because you when you walk through this soundstage, basically, you feel like you're walking through the tightly compacted houses of this neighborhood outside, even though you're inside. Um, and like you see Michael at a distance, you see him walking towards you, you know, it feels very much like you're inside of this story. And it's, it's a compelling story because there's a lot of mystery behind Michael. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it seems like uh, a lot of our movies these days, like the sequels become more money grabs than, than anything than really coherent storytelling. But, um, yeah, I th- I, th- I wish that in some sense it would have ended after just the 2017 remake. Yeah. I think that's a – I mean, there's the story of rebirth, the reunion of family, um, mm-hmm. and in some sense baptism also. Fire can be uh, a, an appropriate yeah. image for baptism as well. Um, and so I, l- that would have been a very interesting um, yeah, for sure. place to end it. But, you know, we can't judge them for going <laughs> – for, for wanting to make money, I guess, because that is the name of the game. But um, – in some time, in some sense, like you know, I w- I still wish the story would have had as much intention as the intention to make money. So. Yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts as we're kind of wrapping up here on Halloween? Ends? No, I think I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. And um, but anyways, yeah. Again, to our just our one year time together, this has been great. And yeah, yeah can continue to uh, see what we find. Yeah, many more to come. I hope. Uh, in terms and maybe of our- yeah next week. Yeah, maybe yeah. next week. That's yeah. right. Uh, we'll be, I think, coming back here. And um, uh, we mentioned uh, Midnight Mass. Um, I keep wanting to say Black Mass, but uh, that's something different. Yep. Uh, Midnight Mass, uh, which, yeah, if you know, we did a review on earlier uh, last year, I yeah. would say. But uh, this would be an interesting time for us to explore it together, which I think would be uh, very cool, because I would love to hear your thoughts on, on this film. And I know that you're a Mike Flanagan fan. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it'd be great to, yep. to hear that. So stay tuned next week. We'll be talking about Midnight Mass, um, and we'll uh, be back together then. Uh, any final words to our, our, our friends out here in the, the introverse here, Kyle, as we're wrapping up? No, uh, thanks for listening. And certainly, again, if you guys have any questions or anything, uh, you can filter them through Dr. Hank. And I'm always happy to 
interact online or wherever or talk you know answer questions again on the podcast so absolutely follow us on social media we're on instagram and twitter at art house road feel free to check that out um, or you can interact with us individually uh, kyle is at ni- uh, cinema 1978 and i am at Duke uh, well we hope that you guys have a wonderful reformation day um, and that you will enjoy uh, the, the spoils of halloween as well Take care and be well, everyone. We'll see you next time here on the Art House Road Show. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Road Show. We'll see you next time.